Okay, good morning. Today is Thursday, January 25, 2024, class 14 in Patanjali, Yoga Sutras, Ashtanga Yoga, and Buddha Dhamma. And as we move along, um, looking at the um, common ground, the cross-fertilization, uh between the history i mean you know comparing patanjali yoga sutras to gautama's pali language buddha dhamma <clears throat> which uh came a little prior to it i'm finding all sorts of interesting um linkages to advaita vedanta philosophy which itself was strongly influenced by uh, Theravada or uh, original Buddhist teaching. So you've got Patanjali working from Vedanta, that uh, much, much of which uh, is prior to Gautama, and Gautama uh, reforming particularly um, Brahman, you know, Vedantic teachings, particularly associated with practice and uh, the philosophy of path um, in terms of where do you go after samadhi? Where do you go? What happens in samadhi that goes from, you know, samadhi to prajna, Srila Samadhi Prajna? Uh, like what happens after Ashtanga Yoga is well established, Samadhi as a platform for then arising of finer states and setting them aside. And that's called insight or Adipanya or Srila Samadhi going to Prajna Panya, which is realizations. And then you get to non duality. And Gautama didn't speak directly about non duality. He talked about freedom from craving and karmic formation and breaking the ten fetters. And then we talk about um, particularly the three marks, the teaching of the three marks, three characteristics, as a major uh, innovation or refinement in path teaching or view associated with path, teaching of view, associated with practice on the path, teaching of the three marks, three characteristics, and Nichanatadoka <clears throat> as, um, I think, a critical formulation from Gautama, Pali Buddhism, uh, basically um, for seekers to cut through uh, false and unhelpful what, what reifications or dualistic conceivings um, in the ordinary way in against the ordinary way we think of life and think of phenomena and particularly our personal process of desire <clears throat> and and seeking uh, particularly you know material physical social personal seeking desiring uh, the teaching of the three characteristics three marks uh, is sort of the entry to non-duality 
but non-duality is particularly a Hindu or a Vedantic teaching where you get Advaita Vedanta, right? The notion that there's non-dual Vedanta. Actually, as far as I can tell, original Vedanta was non-dual <laughs> to begin with. It was just um, ossified, dualized, distorted, confused, misapprehended over the centuries since the earliest Vedas <clears throat> to the time of Gautama and to the time when Shankara and his teachers and those great beings, Gaudapara, Gauda somebody, uh, basically reformulated original Vedanta to focus upon Advaita. And that's where you've got later Kashmiri Shaivism. And so you've got an interesting, um, you know, double helix Whoa. of um, Hindu Vedanta and original Buddhist uh, teaching, Buddha Dhamma, intertwining through the centuries. It's obvious that Gautama got his basis from teachers who were uh, Vedantic yogis. Uh, did they not understand non-duality? Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Do I understand it? No, not fully. I'm not fully awakened. No. So they clearly were stuck in some way because they didn't understand the deathless uh, beyond the finer states, it seems. Meaning, Gautama saying that he went to these early teachers <clears throat> the four uh, who became his great disciples, I think it was four or five, who became the great original disciples um, at Sarnat. Some of my history may be mistaken here. I apologize for not being perfect. Uh, but they taught him, I believe, the higher jhanas that they had considered ultimate. And Gautama realized were not because it was a sort of reification or a sub, an, an apparent the, the a false substantializing of finer states which Gautama by his experience could realize actually are anicca are impermanent inconstant uh, insubstantial and not I not self and stressful unsatisfactory not not worthy of uh, being considered the goal actually, particularly because they're impermanent. And so he realized there's something beyond those finer states that was taught by those great teachers who were the flower of uh, Hindu Vedanta 2,500 years ago. Uh -huh. So Gautama realized, well, actually applied to those three, those higher, the higher jhanas, formless jhana, rupa jhana, right? Perception of infinity of space, perception of infinite, infinity of uh, consciousness, perception of nothingness, perception of, or neither perception nor non-perception, perceiving still dualistically uh, boundless space, which means no here and there, then perceiving boundless consciousness, meaning I is not just here or there, I is boundless the awareness of this I is boundless too. Then, perceiving nothingness, boundless nothingness, <laughs> that all of the uh, the percept that the recognition that the prior uh, perception or experience of boundless space, meaning um, 
everywhere is here there is no here or there there's one here and boundless consciousness or infinite consciousness this i is not here or there this i is everywhere and it's really thus not separate from totality there is no separation to the consciousness subjectivity you know everything is i <clears throat> whatever that may be and then nothingness is a realization oh <laughs> those prior perceptions were empty are empty too they're impermanent and insubstantial too uh-huh so what only nothingness is real no that's impermanent too uh-huh so uh what is impermanent is unreal is the basic teaching that came all the way from the earliest vedanta i believe which is not uh which is a is a dangerous teaching for complicated westerners uh today the assuming that the impermanent is real <clears throat> because actually you can't even assume that there's a there's an there's a substantial that is impermanent impermanence is empty too so there really are not substantial phenomena that are changing but you can't really say that there's an unchanging essence either because that's a that's a, a supposition but we don't know <laughs> so the three marks are seen to be empty too uh, and that's what we're going to look into today the three marks and then the three essences i call it that the other three characteristics of existence are they characteristics of existence what is existence existence is the outer world no it's the outer world and the inner self yeah well are they substantial no so is that a hard and fast duality no what can you say about it well i can say that it's all born of perception of a subjectivity which is a mistaken you know <laughs> mistaken position because when there's the higher jhanas uh, five six seven particularly one realizes oh the perception of objects here or there is delusive is illusory is based on limited perception with greater perception i will see then the infinity of space meaning boundless space meaning all spaces here there is no here or there uh, totality is one place here and even saying here becomes extraneous so then the previous perceptions that i'm here and you're there objects are there and they come and they go this is based on limited perception with higher perception fifth jhana this notion of dualistic space falls away likewise sixth jhana formless jhana infinity of consciousness infinite boundless consciousness means non-dual consciousness means this i that i thought was over here isn't over here it's over there and over there and over here is one so i can't even say this i subjective consciousness is here or there it's everywhere it's nowhere who the fuck knows one is left with the wipe away the wiping away of the previous belief experience <laughs> experience based on or belief based on experience based on conceiving of limited perception there's limited perception then we conceive and interpret thus we believe and experience uh, the previous experience of me here and you there um i in this <laughs> i in this body here 
you know, you can talk your way to breaking fetters, by the way. When you've done a certain amount of samadhi, you can talk your way uh, to breaking, uh, to, to uh, <clears throat> uh, spirit complex nadis purification. That's what I hope to be doing. So, okay, so previous, this is, this is real yana yoga. Uh, what, what, <laughs> maybe, who the hell knows, right? Uh, previous perceptions of subject here and object there, objects outside moving in space, previous, is wiped, the, the, the belief in that experience is wiped away by the fifth jhana. <clears throat> infinity of space or boundless space it means unbound space it means non-dual space likewise sixth jhana non-dual consciousness or infinity or boundlessness of consciousness means that the previous perceptions that i'm here and i'm not there i'm not in the towels i'm not in the towel rack or the dirt on the floor uh that was a experience based on you know, a belief based on experience, based on interpretation, conceiving of limited perception. The perception that is identifying I'm here in the body and that speck of dirt or uh, cord on the floor ain't I. The sense of I'm here and not there, there's a here and there's a there, and there's a me here and a not me there, both of those experiences and beliefs fall away with the fifth and sixth jhanas substantially then the seventh jhana uh, infinity of or nothingness wipes away any belief in the in the apparent substantiality of those two previous jhanas actually not only is uh, the belief or experience that there's a here and a there empty that there's a me here and a not me there empty, but the whole thing um, is of the, that those two, that there is and that there isn't, are both limited perceptions or temporary experiences of, of limited perception, conceivings of limited perception becoming a belief and experience, an experience and uh, an experience of conceiving limited perception. And thus a belief in my experience, which is simply the conceiving of limited perception. Perception, conception, experience, belief. And so uh, <laughs> this, the, the, the seventh jhana uh, of nothingness wipes away any reification of an, where we're apparent where we're conceiving an apparent substantiality to the infinity of space and the infinity of consciousness so it's not quite true there's a here and a there it's not quite true that i'm here and not here or, or not there over there is not me here is me or i or vijnana vijnana is here not there really because there's a here and a there really well, those two get wiped away by the fifth and sixth jhanas where there's a realization of the boundlessness, a perception of the boundlessness of space and the boundlessness of vijnana, actually, which is identity.
Uh -huh. But there's still a sense of identity, and there's still a sense of uh, spatiality distinct from subjectivity. The, the seventh jhana, perception of nothingness, wipes that away to say, oh, I see, all that's empty too. Uh -huh. So it's not quite so that there's a here and a there, but you can't say, there's no here, there's no there. That too is a reification or a, uh, a tamayata. It's a tam, tanmayata. It's a making uh, that is um, false. It's a false making. So anyway, <laughs> we're talking about the three marks and the, a higher version of the three marks. So this is from Ajahn Amaro, DiscourseSuttaCentral.net, Ajahn Amaro talking about in his essay, Achancha's view of the view, which is basically Achancha's view, because we're only talking about view, we're talking about conceivings, of the right conceiving um, associated with the three marks, three characteristics. Conceiving the view of the three marks rightly um, we're basically trying to make our conceiving as sheer and transparent as possible. Sheer. Not Daniel Sheer. Sheer uh, conceivings. Uh, gossamer. <laughs> uh, gossamer, sheer, uh, transparent, translucent. Translucent conceivings of view is... Um, useful for those who are ready for that so this was from a compilation broad view boundless heart uh from amaravati uh monastery uh, parallels between dzogchen and ajahn cha and ajahn sumedo's teachings and so okay let me read it again not made of that <clears throat> in the theravada tradition he said we're familiar with three characteristics of existence anicca dukkha anatta impermanence unsatisfactoriness and selflessness these are, quote, chapter one, page one, Buddhism. But Theravadans also talk about three other characteristics of existence at a more refined level. Not only Theravadans. Sunyata, tatata, atamayata. Sunyata is emptiness. Talked about a lot. That expression, sunyata, derives from saying no to the phenomenal world. It's like saying, I'm not going to believe in this. This is not entirely real. <clears throat> you know, put a pin in that, as uh, Walter White would say. Next of the higher triads, sunyata, tatata, tamayata, is tatata. Tatata means suchness, same as the root tat. Om tatsat, tat. <clears throat> so we're talking about ultimate. Tatata means suchness. It has a very similar quality to sunyata in that it's an essential. But it derives from a quote, yes, there is nothing, yet there is something. The quality, as he said, the quality of suchness, sunyata, is like the texture of ultimate reality. And again, I would just say reality with a capital R. Sunyata and tatata, emptiness and suchness, the teachings talk in those ways. But this other quality, atamayata, is little known. And I will circle back uh, to these two after I read some more paragraphs. In Theravada, uh, just a second. That's how to do it. <laughs> All right, only 20 minutes in. In Theravada, he goes on. Atamayata has been referred to as the ultimate concept. 
It literally means, quote, not made of that. But it can be rendered in many different ways, giving it a variety of subtle shades of meaning. And this is very nice to see at last somebody pulls out multiple translations and says, let's look at it all together. Goes on. Bikubodi and Bikunyanaboli in their translation of Majima Nikaya render it as non-identification, picking up on the quote subject side of the equation, right? We're talking about subject object. Others have translated it as non-fashioning or unconcoctability. I, I think it was Tanisaro put it as non-fashioning, which I prefer, frankly, non-making, non-compositing. Thus pointing more to the object element of it. Either way, it refers primarily to the quality of awareness prior to or without subject-object duality. And he capitalizes awareness, which just shows you that us moderns, um, whether we like it or not, our presentation of Buddhism is mixed in with some recognition of Advaita Vedanta terminology. Um, Buddhas, you know, we're, to, to capitalize the word awareness is to uh, attribute a sort of ultimate non-dual reality to awareness. That's straight up, you know, satchit, tatsatchit, the chit, which could be translated as awareness or sentience of tatsat, which is ultimate reality suchness, which would thus be awareness with a capital A distinct from Vijnana subjective consciousness, which is uh, of the ten fetters. Okay, so fine, I don't have a problem with it, <clears throat> but, you know, in some sense, uh, the essence of Buddhism and the essence of non-dual Vedanta, or real Vedanta, which is non-dual, actually, uh, they are, they, they are um, of the same, they, they, it's really two sides of the same coin, they, they really uh, should be uh, husband and wife <laughs> they were always husband and wife or they were always brothers of the same parents and um, it you know it's just little humans that make unnecessary divisions or exaggerate differences or don't recognize that the common points are simply more important than the differences <laughs> what's held in common between Vedanta which is indeed truly non-dual uh, and uh, Pali Buddha Dhamma the heart of Buddha Dhamma uh, what what they where their common ground is much more important than their differences important in terms of teaching of path and goal this is not a little matter anyway goes on the origins of this term seem to lie in a theory of sense perception of ancient India in which a grasping hand supplies a dominant analogy, hand takes the shape of what it apprehends. The process of vision is explained as the eye sending out some kind of ray, which then takes the shape of what we see and comes back with it. Similarly with thought, mental energy conforms to the object, i.e. a thought, and then returns to the subject. The idea is encapsulated in the term tanmayata, consisting of that, uh, it's, it's not quite the word consisting. <laughs> uh, you have to be very careful. It, consisting is not the same as fabricating. It's making. Uh, maya means making, not consisting of, uh, as far as I can tell. Because it, it, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but 
it's it's I we're talking about a fashioning. We're talking about a compositing, just like fourth skanda, samkara, samskara. It's compositing, fashioning, fermenting, putting together. It's a compositing interpretation. It's conceiving. Conceiving. There's a subject here. There's an object there. They're different. Uh, I'm labeling that, and I know what that is, and this and that. <clears throat> that the, you know, dualism is the result of conceived perception. I mean, that's a conception. <laughs> that there's something distinct. There's a difference between perceiving and conceiving. That, too, is a conceiving, as far as we can say, logically. So, as far as we can tell in our ignorance, or my ignorance, there is a distinction between perceiving and conceiving. Can there be conceiving without perceiving? I wouldn't think so. Can there be perceiving without conceiving? Mm, probably not, <laughs> actually. Uh, there can be perceiving and very minimal conceiving. Like in mindfulness meditation, there's a sound perhaps heard, or a sound, or, you know, objects move and there's a sound generated. The body-mind or the consciousness or we in meditation recognize a sound. It's very possible to recognize it without conceiving it. But that there's a, a recognition of a sound itself is a conceiving, it would seem to me. So anyway, that's very subtle for super specialists. Uh, but he goes on, uh, th this notion that the, th this notion that sounds very primitive <laughs> and kind of quaint of those, those ancient Indians that uh, the mind or the hand goes out to an object and conforms to it, uh, that is not necessary to that 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 basically <clears throat> simply i think points to the inevitable the inevitability that subject and object uh, arise together that they're the conceiving of an object is done by uh, on the basis of a prior conceived subject uh, and there is a conformity of what appears to be here and what appears to be there or here and there you know like Heraclitus said the way upward path and the downward path is one <clears throat> the upward and downward is one uh, the field the establishing of a field of, of inner outer arises together and passes away together and so uh, I don't know about eyes sending out a beam of light but um, there's no perceiving uh, and conceiving of objects without a prior perceiving and maintained uh, ongoing perceiving conceiving of subjectivity or selfhood subject to object and so he puts it out next day <clears throat> the opposite quality the opposite quality atamayata refers to a state where the mind's energy does not go out this is a dualistic uh, material con you know, conceptualization which can be broken down too. The opposite quality atamayata refers to a state where the mind's energy does not quote go out to the object and occupy it. It neither makes an objective quote thing nor a subjective observer knowing it. Hence quote non-identification refers to the subjective aspect and quote non-fabrication to the objective. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, atamayata is a non-fashioning 
non-fabricating. Neither objects nor subject is fabricated. You have to understand that um, essentially, this, this is non-dual epistemology. <laughs> and I found one page uh, that I could figure out. This stuff is above my IQ. But <clears throat> the guys with the 160, are, I can handle this easily, but not me. But this is a, <laughs> I found a page. Richard King on Aspara Yoga in Gaudapada's Charikas, Early Advaita Vedanta and Buddhism non-dual epistemology a dense tangle of non-dual epistemology that's what we're trying to talk about here theory of knowledge and knowing from non-dual perspective as best we can and atamayata not making non-made refers to both subject and object and so you can the, 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 the you see the subject is an object the subject is an object to the one to the to the one that makes it that's the point. The self, so-called, is simply another object in the field of, on, of um, infinite awareness, which is wholly non-personal and beyond transpersonal. Beyond the personal is the transpersonal. Beyond the transpersonal is the truly non-dual, which is infinite, bo infinite boundless, and not chintaya, inconceivable, non-conceived, unmade. The deathless is the unmade. And that's where we get to the eighth uh, jhana and above, beyond being neither perception nor non-perception, the ending of perception, the ending of conception, the ending of dualistic space and dualistic time and dualistic self-other. The end of all that is uh, unmade. It's the deathless because it's the birthless. It's the unfashioned. And so... There's neither um, subject or object in Tatsat. <laughs> in absolute reality, it's beyond uh, that. It's the source of that. But subjectivity is just as much an object as physical world stuff to the point of its genesis. The, the, the <laughs> what perceives subjectivity if there's no subjectivity? Well, glad you asked. It's light fashions subjectivity temporarily and soul evolution is the the freeing of light from false identification the false identity making of itself <laughs> but there's something there yes there is but it has nothing to do with subjectivity nor dualism goes on all right <laughs> if you're if you're fried that's okay unfry so he said non-identification as a translation of Atamayata, refers to the subjective aspect and, quote, non-fabrication to the objective aspect. Fine, you can say that. But uh, bear in mind that um, subjective and objective are both fashioned or fabricated. And identity makes... Uh, identity is a fabrication itself. So that's the point. Anyway, he goes on. The way emptiness, sunyata, has been talked about during this retreat, this was given at a retreat, has made it very clear that this is a characteristic of ultimate reality. Yep. However, it's not a thing. <laughs> and he knows that, which is great. He said, but also, when we talk about emptiness or suchness, uh, sunyata or tatata, in that usage of those words, there can still be a sense of agent, a subject, which is a this, looking at a that, 
meaning a subject object, and the that is empty, meaning <laughs> the the emptiness, sunyata emptiness, tatata touchness, become objectified in our discussion of them, in our comprehension of them, in our uh, examination of them. In our examination, we make a, thus, a, a this and a that, and the that becomes emptiness or suchness. Mm. So he said, the usage of those words, in their usage, we can still have a sense of subject, which is a looking, which is a this looking at a that, while the that is empty, meaning I, I am looking at emptiness. Or, he goes on, the that is such, thus. <laughs> if you can handle this, you have a good, nimble mind. The that is a such, meaning the object is suchness. So the object may be suchness, thusness, ta-ta-ta. The object may be sunyata, emptiness, which I think is really insubstantiality and the true meaning of anatta. So I, I actually use sunyata and anatta interchangeably to some degree, while anatta clearly means no self. Self is a substantializing of identity, and identity is yet another object um, in the fashioned field of subject-object, actually. So he's saying that there can be a reification, a um, unhelpful, mistaken uh, substantializing of these concepts, emptiness and suchness, sunyata and tatata, where we maintain the same fabricated duality, which of course is what happens, uh, you know, inevitably because we're talking about it and we're not broken the eighth fetter yet. He goes on, what the, what the word atamayata is attempted to convey is an ending to thatness, right? That unmade, not making that, which is a complete abandonment of the idea that there can be anything other than mind essence. Huh? What? <laughs> Where'd you put that? Where'd you get that from? A complete abandonment of the idea that our perceptions and conceptions are substantial. As to what there can be anything other, there cannot be anything other than, you don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If you're not living in the deathless, you don't know what there can be, what, what can never be um, removed, or what uh, exists as the substrate or the, the essence beneath perceiving, conceiving, subjective, subject-object, dualistic knowing. What's outside, what's beyond, what's, what is after the ending of subject-object knowing, which is called dual epistemology, what is non-dual knowing? Is there a knower? Is there a knowing? Don't know! It's achinteya. The mind of the Buddha, the powers of the Buddha are achinteya. The, the awareness of the arahan is achinteya. But we simply use the words um, emptiness, suchness, uh, tat satchit, ananda, the bliss of satchit, which is ultimate reality knowing or chit. We don't know. So uh, he, he puts it, because he studied Rigpa and Dzogchen and uh, Tibetans, and they put another word to the ultimate, which is inconceivable. Fine. Put another head on top of your head. It's just unnecessary, actually. It's the deathless. How's that? But if you call it mind essence, it's the same thing as awareness with a capital A, meaning non-subjective awareness. Uh, intelligent infinity, infinite intelligence, same. Uh, 
He goes on, Atamayata is the realization. Atamayata is a concept, but it's uh, a concept associated with reality. He says, Atamayata is the realization that, in truth, there cannot be anything other than ultimate reality. Uh, <laughs> there's the apparent and the essential. You know, things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. To say there cannot be anything other than ultimate reality is fine, actually, except what we call not ultimate reality is a portion of ultimate reality. <laughs> he said, there is no that. Well, no, there is a perception of this and that. It's just that they're anicca and sunya. There is no that. In letting go of that, he thinks he's done, then the whole relative subject-object world, even at its subtlest level, is dissolved. It's broken apart, indeed. And that's the point. Real surrender. Surrender to what is. Said Ajahn Chah, I believe. And Ajahn Chah, I believe, you know, was the one who said, if you stay at his ashram for a year and do sincere practice, uh, Satipana is very doable. Absolutely. So, okay. Let me see if there's anything more I want to pull from him. Atamayata is that quality in us, <laughs> he said. It's so difficult for, you know, to get rid of, and I fall into it all the time. It's so easy for me to critique his work rather than, you know, you know and say, oh, that's not right, or that could be refined. But it's a brilliant work here from John Amaro, actually. And it's, you know, I don't mean to be um, disrespectful in any way, because um, it's a brilliant um, working uh, to put these six words together, Anichanatadoka, Sunyata, Tatata, and Atamayata, it's a great, great work. And that comes from Ajahn Chah and his students, Ajahn Sumedho and Ajahn Amaro. Um, meanwhile, we can, I can still, you know, pick it apart a bit, which is not a problem. Saying, he said, um, Atamayata is that quality in us. It's not actually a quality in us. It's the ending of compositing. And the ending of compositing is also a statement. It's a it's a statement of path, a, pra, pa, a practice and goal, path, practice, and goal. It, it's sort of simultaneously the way to the goal and the nature of the goal. This is me talking, Mr. Scott. He said anyway. It's that quality in us. No, drop it. <laughs> it's not a quality. It's a reality and a means of achieving a, a goal to the a means of progressing to that reality, which knows, quote, there is no that, there is only this. Actually, you have to drop that too. <laughs> this one here, said Nityananda, referring to the I in his situation as his subjectivity. Um, Again, one could be psychotic and schizophrenic and dissociative and de depersonalized with all this, but that's a problem and not the goal. That's a mistaken understanding of people who don't see that, um, you know, it's the same as a Sufi saying, uh, the same, it's the same waters in which, uh, the, same wa the same waters in which the, the sage swims, the crazy man drowns, the waters of non-duality and... Um, insubstantiality 
So I don't mean to go to uh, psychosis, <laughs> but uh, uh, essentially the belief, the experience of me here and you there, or me in a in a out of here and not me over there at a over there or this and a that the whole thing falls away as far as i can tell at the end and that's what atamayata is about it's about um realizing the you know the the uns the, the maya the illusory nature the unsuitability the 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 stress the dukkha the very subtle dukkha of all fashioning, meaning all all perceiving, conceiving, believing, and and even spiritual teaching um, has to be uh, emptied of unnecessary uh, reification, meaning false substantial. It has to be rightly desubstantialized, de-reified, like that. If you know what reification means, to make a thought a thing, to make a concept. To imagine a concept or a thought is physically substantial or durable when it isn't necessarily um, the, the chariot and the, the, the simile of the chariot and that whole Buddhist teaching. So um, he said, Atamayata is that quality in us, which I wouldn't say, which knows there is no that, there's only this. However, um, if this, since this is distinct from that, that's not true. Uh, he goes on, thereby even, and he cuts it down rightly, thereby even thisness becomes meaningless. Right. Atamayata helps us, he goes on, to break the subtlest habits of restlessness. Right. Ninth fetter as the root of tenth fetter, of eighth fetter. Yeah. Restlessness is the basis of the identification fashioning of identity. Right. <laughs> Ten, nine, eight. Absolutely. Atamayata as a concept, <laughs> the subtlest concept in Buddhism or something, <clears throat> one of the most subtle concepts in um, Theravada, okay? That concept, teaching, tool, uh, raft, you know, poison to remove poison, illusion to remove illusion, concept <clears throat> to free us from unnecessary conceiving, atamayata, he goes on, helps us to break the subtlest habits of restlessness, as well as stilling the reverberations of the root duality of subject and object. Yeah. Uh, that abandonment, <laughs> that abandonment, that appreciation, because, you know, considering a tamayata is not a full abandonment. It's simply recognizing the false nature of all conceiving, of all perceiving, conceiving, believing, experiencing. All, all of that we believe is based on experience, based on perception that leads to conception. The conceiving of perception leads to experience, which is super personal and dualistic. And then that uh, is what we believe to be true. The law of one. You know, there is no subject, object, there's no this, there, there's no that. There's only the one love, light, light, love. Um, you know, all there is is one life. All the many is one life, uh, which is of light, which is born of a source of light, which is intelligent infinity or the logos, or 
the Deathless. <laughs> What's on the other side before light? So, uh, we and this is where you get to Chittavriti Neroda. He knows that phrase. <laughs> That's why he talks about stilling the reverberations of root duality of subject-object. Yes, the Neroda of Chittavriti is the cessation or stilling of the disturbances and fluctuations of Chit or Chitta, which is all associated with personalism, subjectivity, the root duality of subject-object. Of course, exactly, yes. And he goes on, that abandonment brings to the heart, brings the heart to a realization of complete spaciousness and fulfillment, wholeness. The apparent dualities of this and that, subject and object, are known as essentially meaningless. That's the point. Although we still generate perception and conception and uh, experience, subjective experience, we haven't broken the ten fetters. <laughs> we surely haven't broken the last five, unless you're an Arahan. So everybody who's not an Arahan didn't break the last five. They're still craving for changed, you know, for becoming and non-becoming, which means changed mental experience and the cessation of mental experience, you know, longing for making, par longing, longing for a, a, a permanent fashion paradise, longing for the complete cessation of all making, both of those are craving, and then subjectivity, conceit, eighth fetter, and then the basis, restlessness, agitation, deep mind fluctuation, chitta-vritti, actually. Deepest levels of chitta-vritti is of ninth fetter. And then root, avidya, tenth fetter. Uh, if you haven't broken those ten, then we don't really know where we're, where we're going. But we can understand it more and more, little by little. And so he's saying, uh, the apparent dualities of this and that, subject-object, are known as essentially meaningless that's a bankable line to me, not um, that quality in us which knows. There's no this, there's no, there's no that, there's only this or this, nothing. Apparent dualities are empty of substantiality. Emptiness means empty of substantiality. So emptiness, sunyata, means empty of substantiality. Anicca dukkha are also empty of substantiality. The mind that perceives permanence needs meaning abiding. I just want that and then I'll be happy, uh, as if happiness is some kind of, you know, permanent state. As if any mind state is permanent. The teaching that counteracts that poison is anicca. The sense that what I'm seeking is some kind of, un, uh, you know, unalloyed happiness or that unalloyed happiness is even possible. The medicine for that mistake, that illness, is uh, dukkha, the, teach, the first noble truth. It, it's all unsatisfactory, because ultimately, perception is dukkha. That's the point. Mm. Perception, conceiving, sankara, vijnana, the whole, those three themselves are stressful, actually. And then... The teaching, you know, of anatta is the medicine for uh, mistaken belief in substantial identity or the belief that identity is, is a fixed matter. It isn't. Or that identity is separate. There's a here and a there. But then one should apply the teaching of uh, sunya, tatata, and atamayata as well. You see, atamayata 
is similar to the teaching of Sunya, but it's actually it, it it's a, li a little more subtle. By Sunya, Sunyata, we can realize there's no substantiality to the three marks and three characteristics as well. There is no substantial dukkha or selflessness, self, I have no self. There is no substantiality to the reality of no self. It's an insubstantial reality. It just means that we're cutting away falsehood, not establishing permanence. Uh, there's, there's no permanence in the teachings of the three marks. <laughs> the three marks are Inishanatu Dukkha too. The three marks are Sunya too. However, lest us think that there's only nothing, 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 there's something going on here, obviously, as he says that. Uh, while indeed we can say that all that we perceive is of the mind, there's something going on here. It's our conceivings of it that are all problematic. But our conceivings are not totally problematic because there's a difference between you know, a wall and an onion. Uh, if I cut the, the wall thinking it's an onion, I'm a dummy or I'm a psycho, psychotic. You know, there are qualities of phenomena. There, there really is apparently substantial or at least experientially real. It's apparently and experientially real or substantial. However, essentially, um, it's a labeling, an empty labeling based on transitory limited perception. You know, an onion is not an onion. An onion is an onion and not an onion. You can quote me on that. And so, uh, lest one um, reifies the concept of sunya, <clears throat> which is a teaching to counteract the reification of the three marks, which is a teaching to counteract the false views that there's possible permanent happiness and there's possible permanence and there's some kind of uh, apparent, uh, substantially real me identity, uh, those false views are counteracted by the three marks teachings, and the three marks teaching should never be substantialized or reified. That's where sunya comes in. And then you shouldn't even substantialize sunya because there's no substantial emptiness. So then we have tatata, which is saying suchness, which is an affirmative, not a negative. Right. But all affirmation and negation falls away too when we have atamayata, which is saying you can, <laughs> you can do reification and you can do right recognition of the insubstantiality of what you've been reifying. Uh, that's all fine. <laughs> but whether you reify or you de-reify or recognize the insubstantiality of all sorts of things, of subject-object and identity, um, the real practice is non-fashioning, which leads to freedom from identity and identification. And the goal itself is unfashioned. It's inconceived. It's achintaya. That's the point. Uh, inconceivability is the unfashioned. The unfashioned is the deathless. It's deathless because it hasn't been born. <clears throat> then what the hell can you say it is if there if it isn't arising? It's not arising. It is. 
the whole realm of arising, persisting, passing away came from that which doesn't arise, persist, pass away. We can say it's eternal or permanent or changeless. It's without change, but it isn't a substantial that doesn't change. It, it, it's without subject or subject-object duality, um, but to say it's nothing is mistaken too. And so we get back to, you know, uh, imminent and transcendent, like the Abrahamic notions of deity or God. Is God in everything? Is God outside everything? Is the Logos all that's here or far away from here? <clears throat> uh, is it a thing or not a thing? You know, what's the source of uh, light? What is the source of uh, fashioning but a fashion? No. Uh, the source of change is be before there was phenomenal phenomena or light that could change. And so he says, yes, of course, um, phenomena appear apparently outer outside in the so-called field of outer world objects but they're actually perceived in the mind yes of course so uh, he's saying here what we can say is that the experience of the body the experience of the world happens within mind he said our mind how about mind <laughs> so hard to drop identification identity is the it's called conceit for not for no good reason eighth fetter the, prof the basic, uh, you know, uh, ahamkara. Eighth fetter is ahamkara. The splitting apart of eighth fetter, the breaking of eighth fetter is the ending of the karma of aham, the, the fashioning of identity, which is atamayata, which is both the nature of reality uh, with a capital R or tatsat. It's not a fashioned. It's not fashioned. It's not composite. It's not made of a this or a that it's not it's not made of that by a this it is intelligent infinity forever but it's not a thing that doesn't change either it's um a reality and then you know this is the end of our conceiving you can't really conceive the truly non-dual by means of dualistic conceiving uh, of course so it's all happening here, he said, in the in that hereness, the world's externality, separateness has ceased. Right, sure. Separateness is uh, the fa is a fashioned experience, or is an experience coming from the fashioning of conception, interpretation of raw, limited perception. Limited perception, based on a subjectivity, <laughs> perceives a subjectivity, or a subject, or an objectivity, object. Basically, that the problem with perception is that it arises out of subjectivity. Where there's no subjectivity, there's no perceiving. Thus, there's no object. Thus, there's no subject-object. Thus, there's no inner-outer. And actually, there's no more time as well. And so, that's atamayata, the unmade, not making. The unmade is the deathless. And the way to it, at least in terms of view and practice, in terms of Working with view, this is yana yoga, working with mind <clears throat> to transform the nadis and the chakras. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So yana yoga is the seeking of yana uh, by uh, <laughs> the one that seeks. But particularly um, using thought, 
you know, Raja Yoga as meditation, Yana Yoga as what? Wisdom, <laughs> realization yoga? Well, discussion, I mean, no, Nisargadat is a pure Yana Yoga, Yani, Yana Yogi. I think Nisargadat, mostly of all. And, um, you know, it was very dialogic. It was very much, um, you know, spit forth your concepts so we can uh, realize their, um, their emptiness. We can desubstantialize the apparent view, you know, the views the, of the seeker that are unfortunately still based in subject-object dualism, which is itself empty and false. Anyway, he goes on. We may also use the word cessation or niroda here. Hey, hey, chitta vritti niroda. Along with this more familiar rendition, the word also means to hold in check. So it can mean that separateness has ceased. When we realize that we hold the whole world within us, uh, its otherness has been checked, has ended, we're thus better able to recognize its true nature. So, Niroda has cessation, you know, so we're getting <laughs> basically uh, a John Cha senior student, a John Amaro, using the word Niroda very similarly to Patanjali's Chitta Vritti Niroda, talking about holding in check or uh, ceasing stilling the experience of separateness that is based on perception conception of subject object perception conception it's even you know prior to perception that there is a presumed the eighth fetter is prior to perception mm -hmm. meaning this sense of separative identity is actually prior to perception that's why all perception is already distorted. Perception is intrinsically a distorted phenomenon or process. It doesn't mean it's it's bad or something. It just means the eighth fetter is the basis of perception, where that perception um, is associated with a field of objects already recognized subconsciously prior to conception already um, known in a sense or s believed to be separate from the perceiver or the subject or the sense of self that is perceiving. There, there's no perceiving without a, a pre-existent um, belief or sense of subjectivity, identity, selfhood. That's why Gautama said perception, you know, at the end of the path, there's the non-arising of perception and visjana. That's right. They fall together. Where eighth fetter is broken, perception ends. And that's more than the checking of otherness. That's the ending of self and otherness. And that's true nature. And that's ta-ta-ta. And you can say it's such and thus as it is. It's not nothing. And we have to, nothing is just a wiping away of false perception or a realization that perception is false. But it's another perception too. It's a perception of the unreality of perception. It's a perception. The perception of nothingness is a perception that simply is a relative, is a recognition of the relative 
emptiness, it, it's a recognition of the sunya of perception. The perception is empty. That's recognized by perception of nothingness. But it's another perception. That's why it's only the uh, seventh jhana, not the deathless. Per nothingness is not the deathless. And that's why there's a word called suchness or ta-ta-ta. Tat. There is something going on. There is a life here. There is life here. It's all the divisions based on subjectively based perception that just amps up the whole of a subject-object believed experience, so-called reality, you know, false reality, maya, uh, that is the problem, but it's not a problem because we'll get out of it someday anyway. So um, that's the rundown, 10042, that's the rundown of the very important deep teaching from Ajahn Amaro, from Ajahn Chah about view, where we go from Anicinata Dukkha to Sunya Tathata and Atamayata and realize that uh, not making, uh, not holding tight to view, not, you know, realizing that view is important but empty of substantiality because perception is based on maya too. Perception is based on the avidya of uh, identity, eighth fetter, conceit, which is, a, which is you know, uh, ahamkara. Ahamkara is sunya, meaning its, it, its true nature is empty. But there's something going on here. What? Who the hell knows? The speaking, you know, a focalizing of intelligent infinity. What is the logos? which is actually the self. But it's a capital S, and it isn't separate. It's in the lap of infinity. But I don't know, because I'm not, you know, finished, so what do I know? But it might be useful to uh, contemplate or maybe just receive and see if your nadis are improved. So that's it for today. Next time we'll pick it up wherever, I'm not sure. Uh, probably come to some wrap-up of the series, Patanjali and Buddha Dhamma. Anyway, I hope it was helpful. Thank you for listening. Um, take good care of yourselves. See you next week, and good night.